Please take a copy of the Bible and open to Psalm chapter 23. If you're using the blue Bibles in front of you, you'll find Psalm 23 on page 458. This morning we finish our series through this psalm. And to begin our time, I'm going to read the psalm and just note as we go that verse 6 is where we'll spend our time this morning. Psalm 23, a psalm of David. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. For you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely, goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. And I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. We have been learning through this psalm about our shepherd, the Lord. And all the ways he leads and loves his people. The author, David, meditating on this subject, has called our attention many ways and times to how Jesus is caring for us. If you remember verse 1, he provides what we need. In verse 2, he gives rest. In verse 3, he brings us back from our wandering and sets us on his righteous path. In verse 4, he delivers us from our fears with his protection and presence. And in him we feel safe. In verse 5, the shepherd lays out a table of abundance and invites us to it. This is the way as David sits and thinks on the path of his life thus far. This is how he envisions it. He sees all these ways that the shepherd has been leading him. And he ruminates and meditates, it seems, near the end of the psalm. On all that has come to him through the shepherd. And as he thinks about this, he makes this confident conclusion. Given all that has come. About how the rest of his life will go. Verse 6. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me. All the days of my life. And I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. So while David has been looking back up to this point of God's faithfulness. Now his focus shifts. And now his mind is on the rest of his life. And his final destination. Where will things go from here? And where will it end? Where will things go from here? Where will it end? Those are probably things in small ways or big ways that have occupied our minds this week. Where will we go from here? Where will it end? Well, as we give time to think and hear Psalm 23, 6 this morning, my prayer is that we will all be able to reach David's confident conclusion ourselves. That we both have what we need for this life and we know where we're going. Psalm 23, 6 tells us that there are two things we can be certain of when we are on the shepherd's path. 
And this will be my outline this morning. Two things that we, as we walk the shepherd's path, can be certain of. First, help is right behind you. And secondly, home is just ahead. Help is right behind you and home is just ahead. May God press these truths deeply onto our hearts and minds. Your confidence is that help is right behind you if you are following the shepherd. Let's begin there. David says in the first half of this verse, Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. Those two words, goodness and mercy. I think David is is kind of taking all these observations he's already given us that I just listed a moment ago. All these ways the shepherd's care has been so prevalent in his life and wrapping them up in a summary form in these two words, goodness and mercy. Each of those words and those words taken together describe comprehensively the kinds of ways the shepherd has been to him. He has been good. He has been merciful. His protection and his provision combined together demonstrate this part of God's character that he's good and merciful. And and as you survey the way God has acted with humanity, you can see these characteristics on much of what he has done. The creation was good, a demonstration of his goodness. The treatment of Adam and Eve after their sin was merciful. To clothe them in their nakedness and give them a promise of redemption. In the wilderness with Israel, God's goodness gave the food and the water when needed. Gave the pillar and the cloud. And his mercy provided a sacrificial system for forgiveness of their rebellion when it came. In the coming of Christ, God brings himself in goodness. And gives himself for us in mercy. God is regularly in his word, deliberately revealing these features about who he is to us. So when Moses got the privilege of seeing the afterglow of God's glory on Mount Sinai, he heard God describing who he is this way. The Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. And now as David sits and thinks and writes, God's character he sees as being directly applied to his own life. God's goodness and mercy are David's help. The God of glory condescends to help us. There are three features I think David points out about this kind of help, this goodness and mercy that God gives to his sheep. Three features to note about his help. First, it's a help that we need. It's a help that we need. I think by this time in Psalm 23, we are well aware of all the ways that sheep need help. Food, water, rescue from wandering, direction in the right way, protection from evil and enemies, And we have seen in Psalm 23 that all these things have been provided for by the shepherd. If you didn't realize it about yourself, maybe it will be helpful to you this morning 
to be reminded or shown that left to ourselves, our need and our sin are the two chief obstacles that keep us from entering the way of Jesus and his path. Our need and our sin are the two obstacles that keep us from making progress on the path without the shepherd. We get in trouble when we ignore our need for Jesus to help us. We get in trouble when we don't depend on him. We get in trouble when we don't seek his mercy for our, the clear ways we have sinned against him. All our help comes from the shepherd. All of it is a product of God's goodness and mercy. If you're wondering another way to think about these two words, goodness and mercy, just think about goodness is the way that God supplies all your needs. That's what comes from who he is. He's good and therefore you're well supplied. And then in his mercy, consider that mercy is all the ways that God acts to blot out our sins. Notice the posture of God's heart to you is to both give you what you need from his goodness. And his posture in mercy is to take away your sin that would keep you from having life with him. God is merciful and he is good. He gives the help we need. This is a help that we need. If you are finding yourself these days either trapped in sin Or weighed down by burdens you can't lift. Look to the one who grants help. Ask him and he will give it. Notice secondly, the second feature of the help David highlights for us is that this is a help that hunts. That hunts. What does it mean that goodness and mercy follow us? Are they following us from a distance? Are they up close? Where are they and how do they do this? Well, in other places in the Bible, the word translated follow me actually carries the sense of hunting. A kind of pursuit of a predator after prey. And it's usually in a negative way, like judgment, the hunter catching up to the guilty, for example. But here... David imagines positive agents from God, goodness and mercy, hunting him down in order to deliver God's blessing to his life. This is a help that hunts. Your pursuers in the path of Jesus are God's helpers. They are like heaven sent attendants to you on your journey. This should come as no surprise to us when we read the Gospels and hear Jesus' promises to us, just like the ones that were read to us this morning when Moriah opened John 14. He intended to send us helpers. Just before Jesus died and rose and ascended to heaven, Jesus promised that he would send this kind of help in the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit would indeed find us and lead us in the way we should go and stay with us all the way. You know, you might imagine these hunting helpers like sheepdogs in order to fit the sheep theme. Maybe like angels who are present and tending to us. But I would, I would go further and, and have you picture the image we're given of those men in the Old Testament thrown into a fiery furnace for worshiping God who saw the Son of God standing with them. 
encouraging them in the flames with his presence, protecting them from the flames. His goodness and mercy hunts us down and stays. So on this path that you are on Christian with Jesus, the Trinitarian presence surrounds you on every side. Goodness on one side to carry the burdens and dispense to you the food and the medicine you require. Mercy on the other side to assure you that your sins and your failings, though they may seem many, do not permanently set you off the path because he is merciful. The help he sends for us always finds us and delivers what we need. So this is a help we need, and this is a help that hunts until it finds us. And thirdly, the third feature of help that we see here is that this help is a help that is always there. David is certain of this help staying with him. him. He begins with surely and knows that when the future day becomes today, He knows then goodness and mercy will be there pursuing him then, even as they are now. Every day of his life, David is confident that God's help will be there. How can David be so sure? How can you and I have this kind of confidence? Well, I think we're given Psalm 23, 1 through 5. To help us understand how David got to Psalm 23, 6. David got to this place of confidence, not by just sort of arbitrarily dropping into it as if it it required no thought on his part or preparation of his heart or notice of his life. No, he, he was paying attention to God's presence and providence throughout his life. So when his needs were met in those pastures and by those still waters, he marked that. He marked that occasion and he said, that's God's good gift. That's the Lord being my shepherd. When he wandered off, he he noticed, he marked the time when Jesus in his mercy came and brought him back. When he feared, when he feared evil enemies, when he feared the approach of death, he noted how in the darkness, God brought to him comfort and peace. By marking the provision of the Lord in all his circumstances, David came to be persuaded of the continuance of the favor of God towards him. It just was always there through all the days of his life, through the good days and through the hard days, through all the days. David's practice that he shows us in Psalm 23 is worth copying in your life. What practices do you have to help you match God's favor to your present condition and circumstances? Take time, maybe, at the end of the day to think on what happened that day and thank God. If you have a tendency to dwell on your sin too much, Go to God's word and read promises of his mercy to sinners. If life right now seems too much to handle, reflect on how good God is to give us mercy and help for every day, no matter how full of trial that particular day may be. 
Remember, friends, we are inconsistent people. And just because I'm kind to my family or my children today is not a guarantee that I will be that way tomorrow. We change. And I think sometimes when we change for the worse, when we, when we prove ourselves not quite as faithful as we thought we were, not quite as righteous as we imagined, I think when we change for the worse, we at the same time often assume God changes too. But God doesn't change. And I think this especially helps us when we find ourselves getting cynical about whether God cares. God is goodness. God has goodness and mercy following us all the days of his life. There's a promise to meet us in our cynicism. I think this is also helpful to us when we're fearful that because of something we've done, we've fallen out of God's good graces. Hasn't he promised? Mercy finds us in our time of need. If God is good, he is always good. If he shows mercy, it is not just for that moment, but it is an indication of his past, present, and future intention toward us. God is who he is, and he does what he does. And this is dependability to depend our lives on. This is trustworthiness to trust in all our days. Our lives are going to fluctuate and the circumstances are going to fluctuate with them. At times, you're going to wake up on this path following Jesus and you're going to notice that certain things that were there before have gone missing. There were blessings in the last season, but now you're in tests today. Friends that were near and so helpful to you have moved on or you move on from them. Bright sunshine of his presence can turn into clouds of uncertainty. But at every place, Psalm 23, 6 assures us that no matter what, God's goodness and mercy are always there. If you've read David's life, you know that his life had many trials. Notice that they are not the focus of Psalm 23. Instead, David has this God-oriented, shepherd-focused view of his own life. And that's what we need. From our view as dependent sheep, the way is always going to seem, from our low position, close to the road, it's going to always seem, in our own perspective, or very often, too hard. The path too steep. The prospect of giving up too enticing. But what does the shepherd see? The shepherd sees us and over us and behind us and beneath us and around us is the help that he provides and doesn't stop providing. And it is tremendous help. Scripture says he carries us on eagle's wings and brings us to himself. So when he looks at our situation, though to us the path may seem difficult or impossible, he sees renewing strength he's placed on our left hand and new morning mercies on our right. With a shepherd-oriented view of our lives, we can then come to appreciate the help that he does provide us. The way is hard. 
but we have all the help we need to make progress. As we seek to minister to each other and walk this pilgrim road together, it is good for us to be available to listen to each other when our lives are hard. We're not all feeling the same pressures or weights. Some of us will feel light and the load easy, and some of us will feel differently. It's good to be available to each other when some of us are particularly weighed down, to be present with them in tears and heartache. Sometimes the most helpful things we can do in those moments is silently pray that Jesus would hold up our hurting brothers and sisters with goodness and mercy. But it is at other times as we grow together and know each other and get comfortable with each other, there are going to be times when we hear each other complaining about our situations. Grumbling under what we have or don't have. Well, we can love each other in those conversations too by speaking. Those conversations are an opportunity to help mark God's sure goodness and mercy that we know is being shown in each of our lives. So if you're called into a conversation like that and someone who you love and want their spiritual good, they start complaining and grumbling. Understand God has placed you there. He's placed you there as a counselor in that conversation. And sit with your brother or sister and gently prod them. To give more attention to God's help than maybe to the hardships that are bringing about their complaints. But even then, when the words of a loving friend come like that, or they come in our hardship with all the best intent, but we just know in our grief, in our pain, or even in our stubborn complaints, those things don't give much relief. Still, Jesus is faithful. And still with his goodness and mercy, he hunts us down. When all else fails, he still remains. It is not the effectiveness of our counsel that we depend on to make progress. It is the shepherd leading us. Even in our stubbornness, even in our weakness, goodness and mercy of God keeps coming. We do not want to remain in stubbornness. We do not want to fall prey to only seeing our weakness. The best thing we can do is to be humble. Stop talking to God sometimes. And listen. Stop running to something else. Because you think that's the way out. But stay where you are. And see the deliverance the Lord brings. Stop crying out against his purposes and let's start listening for his voice that guides us. Take our eyes off the path. Look at the shepherd. You will see that he is coming and in his goodness and mercy he will help you. I think knowing that his help has been provided and in pursuit alleviates fear and worry too. Our needs are always met. Our sins are always covered. If Psalm 23 teaches us anything, it's that the shepherd never evaluates whether or not to care for us based on what we deserve. But always on the basis of what he knows that we need. That's what he provides. He knows how much we need him. And in his goodness and mercy, he is always right behind to help us. Help is always just behind. Secondly, 
home is just ahead. David says, surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. And I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Another way to read that is I shall return to the house of the Lord forever. As David imagines the days of his life, all those days that will be temporarily seeming long, but then cut off all those days running out at some point with goodness and mercy behind him. He then switches his look to what lies ahead. The road he, the road he travels with God's goodness and mercy attending him ends in God's house. David is looking forward to going home, which is at the end of the days of his life. He obviously or apparently didn't expect to find home in the green pastures a blessing or in the dark valleys of trial. But there was another home he was headed towards. Each day of our lives are progressing toward the end. And for the Christian, the end of our earthly life is the last step into our heavenly home. So now we can see why God would send his agents of goodness and mercy to pursue us from behind. So that with these divine helps, we would be brought home to God. Yes, the days are long at times. And yes, the road is rocky. Yes, the trials overwhelm and the temptations distract. But we have a shepherd with us who knows the way home. And he's taking us there. Do you remember when Israel was in Egypt? In slavery? And God sent his chosen leader Moses to announce that God was going to deliver them from their oppression. Walk them out of Egypt. Walk them through the Red Sea and the wilderness. Through the Jordan River until they were home in the promised land. Well this is the story on a much grander and more magnificent level being repeated in the church's life right now, in your life, in a more lasting way. Israel got the land, but their hearts stayed in sin. Egypt wasn't their problem, their sin was. So the story gets repeated and the father sends his own son, Jesus, to deliver us from our bondage to our sin and the world that lies under the curse of sin. Jesus came to earth and as soon as he was born, angels announced that God had come to live with us. And as soon as his ministry on earth began, Jesus was walking, gathering sheep, saying, come, follow me. At the end of his life, his path walked him to, he walked the path to the cross where he willingly died as a sacrifice, as a payment to buy us out of our slavery in this world. He stood and hung on the cross in our place. He bore the judgment we deserve because of our sin against God. Three days after he walked out of his grave in resurrection power, then walked back up to heaven, taken up to the sky as his followers watched. One day Jesus will come by the same road he left. One day our shepherd will return. Not with shepherd's instruments of rod and staff, but with kingly scepter and sword as victor. And at that time, he will gather all his sheep and he will lead us home. Do you see this process that Jesus has taken? The good shepherd comes down to make his home with us 
in order to bring us to his home. Where we could never, ever go without him. So friend, if you're not following Jesus, Psalm 23, 6 is giving you an invitation this morning. Take Jesus' path home. Own and confess that it was your sin that required either you die or Jesus die in your place. See that Jesus has taken your place, your death. Turn away from the path of sin that has taken you away from him. Follow him on his own path for you that will take you through death, but then into life. Church, Jesus is still leading us. Yes, he ascended. Yes, he's in heaven. Yes, he reigns, but he's still leading us. He's leading us by his spirit and by his word, his spirit in us, his word to speak to us. What tangible evidence of his goodness and mercy helping us along the way? You could say when Jesus gives these, he sends out his spirit and his word to find us. And they all agree that their aim with us, the sheep, is to get us home. So when the spirit moves you toward obedience and away from sin, follow him home. When the word of God confronts you and convicts you, turn around and get back on the path. This is the way home. If you've ever seen old Western movies, there's this iconic image we have in our head of kind of being in the middle Main Street at the duel or the showdown at noon. And all around, you got all the shops lined up on either side. There's like the saloon. There's always going to be the bank. And then there's the hotel. There's always a hotel. And it looks like on the, on the screen that you could walk into the front door of any of those places. You go in that hotel. And on the other side would be somebody waiting to give you a room. But if you see behind the scenes and how they made these movies... All those buildings were just fronts. They were just big pieces of wood propped up and painted to look like a building with nothing behind the front door. They were facades only. Along the path with Jesus in this life, you're going to encounter facades like that. Idols is what they're called. Places that promise that you can exit the path now And get home immediately. An invitation will come to you from an idol. That that you can bypass the trial. You can shortcut the steadfast waiting. And you can get to everything you want now. And those idols can appear so real. They can seem so lasting. From the vantage point that we have. They can seem so attractive from the path. But once you get to the door... You go through and you find nothing but death. It may have appeared to be a house to live in, a home that you could have had forever. But then we come to understand no idol could be an eternal home. 
There's nothing that you can own or earn in this life that can house your eternal soul forever. There is nothing that you can own or earn in this life that could house your eternal soul forever. Your body, your house, your car, your health, your career, your education, the best it can be is a temporary tent. Temporary tents can be helpful when you're traveling, but few people would gladly call a tent a home. But we try to make these tents home, don't we? We see the facade, we find the tent, and we say, that's enough. I don't need to go any further with Jesus. I've got the family I want. I've got the money that I hope for. I've got the relationship I was desiring. I've got the status. I've got the position. And we can think so highly of our tents. And ignore the fact that they won't last as long as our souls will. Isn't it important to know where our souls will live when our tents are gone? Perhaps we've forgotten this home. And no wonder if you, like me, think so little of it so often. In our weariness, in our fatigue, we get... We get kind of taken up in wondering, when is this path going to end? Instead of the help that's provided and hopefully wondering what the new home will be like. Exhausted in our busyness, we look for cheap rest in the world from our screens and our appetites. Instead of receiving the rest from Christ. So David helps us. He gives us four reminders of home. And may this help you remember home if you've forgotten or give strength to get there if you've grown weary. Four reminders of home from from David. First, there is a home waiting for you. There is a home waiting for you. The home the shepherd is taking us to is already prepared. David is looking forward to what already is. There is an eternal dwelling where God already lives, his house where he is. Remember Jesus' words to John 14, 1 through 3. Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it weren't so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself. That where I am, you may be also. So it's okay if you finish this life and you never got your dream house. The architect of the universe has built something that will make earthly mansions on Ward Parkway or Mission Hills seem like sheds. And as Jesus right now prepares our rooms, he builds in a way that when you are living there with him, you will think you never felt at home until you were there. Christian, Jesus is home and he's waiting. For you and coming to get you. David tells us there's a home waiting for you. David also encourages us that that home that's waiting is your home, Christian. David says, I shall dwell. 
you will make it home. What an ending to your story, believer. There was a time when you were without hope and without God in the world. Darkness and lostness and slavery were your home. All you and I owned were rags and all we craved was what would kill us. So recall again and rejoice that the gracious shepherd Jesus met you when you were eating pig food and sleeping in the filth of your sin and met you and gave you grace and showed you mercy and called you out and said, come home with me. What we once knew as darkness was home, but no more. Christ met you. He shined the light of truth in your heart. He washed you of your filth. He robed you in your nakedness and his righteousness. He put his glorious and holy name on you. And when you enter heaven, he will be glad to tell you that this is both his home and now your home. Because you are his and he is yours. Home is your home. Third, be encouraged that this home is with God. It's with God. Humankind, when we were created and designed, were made to love and enjoy living with God. That was our ultimate purpose. We are hardwired for that. There can be no greater experience of our life than, it, than we live the life walking with God Live the life talking with God unhindered when we receive his love in life with him without taint of sin. That's what we were made for. And that's where the shepherd is leading us. That's where he's taking us. David says, I shall dwell in the house of the Lord. The front doors to the heavenly kingdom will be wide open to you when you get there. And from inside, your Lord and your Savior will boom out. Enter into the joy of your master. There we will live every day in the same place where God and Jesus and the Spirit make their home. I don't know exactly what that's going to feel like. But I do know that when we're there with God, we will breathe so deep a sigh of rest and experience so light a rest without sin and smile so great a smile without suffering or grief. There will be a depth of joy and love and peace that will simply overwhelm us. You cannot imagine how real life will be there. How beautiful, how good in every part. And it will never get old. Every morning will be like the first. Every time we witness the glory of God giving light to everything, we will experience it like a child who sees a sunrise for the first time. Home is where God is. And in heaven's house, God lives with us. Fourth, encouragement. This will be our forever home. I shall dwell in the house of the Lord, David says, forever. Some of us have moved a few times in our life. Some of us have moved many times in our life. And you know how unsettling an experience that can be. It leaves you feeling unstable for time. Once you're home with God, you'll never move again. All the things we seek in this life, we receive there. Permanence, stability, safety. Can you imagine never again worrying about tomorrow? 
That's what forever with God means. Can you imagine never fearing the unknown? Or getting lost, not knowing what to do? Or feeling far from the Lord? Or battling with doubts you hold about if he could love you? All fears, all dreads, all doubts disappear in the security of forever with the Lord. So as David looks forward, apparently he knows this world is not his forever home. All the days of his life are going to end. Then forever begins. Each of us have a limited number of days here. But unlimited days there. Which is worth investing in? And forever is not just a promise of unlimited time. It is the lived-in experience of absolute permanence. Where the full, abundant blessing of today is also yesterday and it's tomorrow. All the time. When the shepherd gets you home and shows you what he has prepared for you and sits you down at his table, the doors to his house will close and you will never have to leave. Be encouraged, Christian. A home is waiting for you. It's your home. It's a home with God. A home will live in forever. Jesus left that home to find you and bring you back with him. He longs to get us back there. Whatever beauty there was to be seen in this earth when Jesus was here, Jesus saw that beauty and he saw that it was a reflection of a greater beauty back home with God. How much he loves you and me to decide to come get us and give us a part in that. If you ever wonder where the Lord is taking you in the confusing circumstances and events of your life, remind yourself, Christian, he's taking you home. Our shepherd's goal is that. So how can we pursue that goal with each other? If we have that desire to get home together, we will know what we need to do with lesser disagreements and conflicts and differences. We'll know their place and their priority. We'll know that when one of us stumbles, we stop and we help. We know that when someone bumps into us and hurts us because of their carelessness or ignorance or our misunderstanding or our mutual sin, we will forgive freely because we would never be on this path without the shepherds forgiving us. I once got to go with a group to see the top of Mount Sinai and see the sunrise. We went most of the way up in darkness overnight on camels, which was very uncomfortable. For the last few hundred feet, though, we had to hike There were young and old in our group. When we got to the hike, I, to my shame, just raced ahead, left everybody behind. I wanted to get there first. But when I got to the top, it was still too dark to see anything. The sun didn't rise until hours later when we were all there. And now as I think back on it, instead of selfishly racing, I could have sacrificially helped others who needed help climbing to the top. In this life, church, we're not racing against one another. This is not a competition. We are running the race where everyone who finishes wins. We'll all get to see and experience the sunrise of Resurrection Day. 
Only God knows which of us is going to get there before the other. So in the time remaining, be patient. Be long-suffering with each other. It is more important that we all arrive than that one gets there first. Make it your aim in this church to help others finish the race. If you're here for a short time, find people to run alongside that have been here for a long time. If you're weary, find someone who is strong to help you. Let's involve each other in our lives so that we can together press on in the faith. Forget what's behind. Strain toward what's ahead. Press on to the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Help is right behind you. Home is just ahead. Goodness and mercy pursue you. So you and us pursue Christ. And he will get us home. Let's pray.